0: Cool. I'm a fun you guy. You have fun when they finish below 500. I'm just Captain fun. I guess. I'm going to wear a captain suit, the show from now on. I don't like the half point. Well, that's called the hook. I don't like that's it. What the hook How do you get rid of it? Can you get rid of the hook? I'm going to have a coronary. No Paulie civilian today. Stephen Fonti, Brian Higgins with you for the next two hours. And then uh, Brian's gonna take you another two hours up until four o'clock. 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to check in. And we'd love to hear from you. We've got a lot of Qs athletics to talk about today. Football team has now lost five in a row. Basketball team did bounce back over the weekend. They're back in action tonight. We'll uh preview Syracuse Richmond and We should even uh, talk a little SU soccer at some point today. Uh, Great game over the weekend as uh, the men uh, rally from a a one-goal deficit in the second half, win it in overtime. They're moving on. Uh, to the the Sweet Sixteen version of college soccer that's coming up Sunday against Cornell, and again we'll uh, we'll mix in your phone calls throughout. Brian, thanks for uh, for bench hitting. Long day for you today. Uh, four hours of radio ahead of you.
2: Uh, yeah, I've uh, once again been locked in the room. I, I don't know why Jordan keeps doing that, but uh, yeah, this is a soccer show now. I don't know if uh, anyone knew that. We're we're only talking soccer. The World Cup is happening. Um, there's a game happening right now. I know that. With, with two countries playing it, with it, and I don't know who they are, but uh, USA watch party today during the 315 because that game starts at two. So we'll pay attention to that. And you're right, out of all of the orange sporting events this weekend, the soccer game was probably the most exciting for it sure. It
0: was awesome. Yeah, my, my son had a soccer tournament in Albany yesterday. I mentioned that to you off air. And uh, in between games, we were mm-hmm. you know on our phones watching the game, and uh, they fell behind by a goal, and then they scored a goal right after that to tie it up and won it in overtime, and they're moving on. And uh, so, yes, a, an exciting. Uh, Exciting season. It's been a special season uh for SU men's soccer. But we begin today with uh with the other football, right? I mean the uh the actual football. Is uh, Dino Babers and company dropping their fifth straight game. Um started well. It was kind of a microcosm of the season, right? Started was, great. Started great and then uh you know the the second half they couldn't get off the field defensively. Uh you know Wake Forest puts up 35 straight points and Syracuse dug itself a, a hole that uh, they could not dig out of, and they end up losing the game 45-35. What, what stood out to you, Brian, from uh, from this latest loss?
2: Well, I, I think you look at, like, initially it was, okay, Garrett Schrader, he stood there on Tuesday and said, I feel a lot better. <laughs> oh, yeah, great, sure you do. Right. How, how could you possibly feel that much better? But again, it was kind of like uh, last week against Florida State. It, it took maybe two plays to say, okay, yeah, he's moved. Now, maybe not what it was, but it, it looks way better, so that's good. And that played out well on offense and then man, what was it? Five, ten minutes of real time later was the first offensive drive of the game when Michael Jones goes down and does not play the rest Very of the game. Very first play for Was Wake it Forest. literally the first play? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like you just say out loud I, I can't believe it. Like yeah. are you are you making stuff up now? What's happening? And of all of the injuries on defense this year, of which there have been many, if you want to talk about one that literally cannot be replaced, it's him. Yeah. So what once he's down and, and again That team is darn near impossible to stop when you got all your guys. And when you don't have him, man, you you lose your leader on the field. And I I think we saw Wake Forest figured it out over the course of the game. Almost all of their passes went at uh, not Deuce Chestnut. They scored one at him, but they were throwing at whomever else was a backup on the field. And it's just such a well-coordinated and well-run offense. Sam Hartman is a phenomenal quarterback. Like, I don't know what you were going to do at that point. You just couldn't stop him. You didn't have the guys.
0: Yeah, and they had some missed opportunities in the first half, and at the time you felt like, man, those are going to come back to bite them, and sure enough, they did. There was a the long touchdown pass to DeMarcus Adams. that got called back because of a hold. And a ridiculous penalty. I mean, come yeah. on. Come yeah. On. Um, like, these the Syracuse offensive
2: line, they know how to hold you now. Like, if they're holding you, everyone knows it. How many holds have they been called for this I season? I know. Like, at least wait a second and call a real one.
0: Yeah, so that was brutal. Uh, You take seven points off the board there. They did not score on that drive. Then there was the drive in the second quarter where they get the ball to the 15-yard line, and then Schrader takes a sack. Schrader takes a sack. You end up with a a 52-yard field goal attempt, which they did not make. That's 10 points off the board there. Um, And you felt like at the time, as well as they were playing offensively, Mm -hmm. you felt like this is going to come back to bite them, and and, and sure enough, it, it did. And now there's one game left, and it's a Boston College team that... Has struggled. Boston College has clearly turned the page on this season, and you know they've handed the keys to the redshirt freshman quarterback, who was was awful against Notre Dame. It played well the, the two weeks prior, mm-hmm. played really poorly over the weekend. You feel like this is a game that not only can you win, but you should win, and you should finish seven and five. Um, but is that going to be enough to to satisfy the masses, Brian? I think that's the that's the big question right now.
2: I mean, no is the uh, no, but. Should it be is a different question. And again, we've talked about this for a month now. It's the order for operations. If you're sitting here at 6-5 and five and got here in a different order, even if it was won the same games and it had just been sprinkled differently throughout the schedule, I think everyone's saying, okay, solid, solid little season. Go beat BC. And again, BC looked terrible against Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's actually been playing really well the last yeah. month. That's kind of been gone unsaid, and their game against USC this weekend is suddenly one of the biggest games in the country uh, for Southern Cal for sure. But you have to win this game. Now, if you don't win this game, I, I think now you're turning, okay, should we be saying it's a success? If you lose this game, I, I don't know if we should be saying it's a success anymore.
0: Right. I mean, and again, go back to the beginning of the season, and the goal was 6-6, six and six, get to a bowl game. They've already accomplished that. But to your point, to lose six games, to, to close out the year, they, they can't lose to Boston College. They no. can't. Um, that would be That would feel like a disaster. If they lost to Boston College.
2: Now, I think we've been, ch- BC's been terrible this season. Terrible. And you mentioned it, they're on their redshirt freshman quarterback, Emmett Moorhead, and he, he's a redshirt freshman kind of in name only. He's one of those guys last year that was supposed to be a high school senior. Right. And did the, hey, I'm going to college early. <laughs> what? Why? And didn't play last year, and now he's taken over the job for Jerkovic, who's been kind of hurt all year. He's, he's talented. He threw for 300 yards against NC State. So, like, you got that? You got Zay Flowers. They aren't having guard to him in 19 years. He's been in college that long, I think now. So, like, there's things that worry you going into the game. And I was worried more a week ago when they beat NC State. But you ha- you have to win this game. I'm worried less now that I've seen Garrett Schrader improve health
0: wise. Yes, it looks like offensively they can put up points. And if they if offensively they play like you know if they play against BC the way they did against Wake Forest, they should win the game. You know, we we yeah. said they got to score 30 points to have a chance against Wake Forest. They did that. You know, Wake put up 45. BC's not, I, I, even with the depleted defense, I can't imagine BC's putting up 30-plus points. I can't imagine that would happen. Uh, they can't, right? I don't think so. <laughs> like, if they do, ooh. Yeah. Uh, words fail me if they, that
2: would be really bad. Like, if you lose if you lose that game and BC's got, like, 38 points, I, I don't even know. Injury, whatever, I don't care. Their right. offense isn't that good. That can't happen. They got, that, they that got one happen. guy. Zay Flowers is a stud.
0: You look at. By the way, I, I I did this exercise on Saturday night. You look at the stats for Boston College, Zay Flowers, in terms of receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns. He's like double everyone else on the roster. Yeah, it's. I mean, he's got ten touchdown catches. The next guy's got five. He's got whatever. I don't know if you've got the receiving yards in front of. You. He's got like six hundred more receiving yards than the next closest guy on the roster, uh, and receptions. It's you know, it's it's something like forty more receptions than the next closest receiver on the roster. It's uh, he is he's their one and home they, run threat, and they don't have a running. They usually have right. a,
2: an NFL running back on their roster and an NFL offensive line, and they don't have that right this year. So they got that, and that's it. They don't have anything else, and still, <laughs> somehow he's open all the time. It's and crazy. right. Still,
0: they beat Louisville yeah. by a point, and uh, they beat NC State by a point. So they've got they've got two conference wins. Um, they they can't lose this game. Syracuse can't lose this game for uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, I, I do want to get into some some sound from Dino Babers uh, mm-hmm. before we hit our first break and we open it up to our phone lines. I, I did find one of the more interesting things, and, and at Dino's press conference today, he was asked uh, by Brent Axe about the not going for two when there was 10 minutes left in the game. They chose to kick the extra point to cut it to 17, mm-hmm. opposed to going to two, for two, which would have, you know again, potentially, they would have had to make it. Uh, made it 16. and made it a two possession game. 201 to play. Schrader to LaQuint Allen, 41 yard catch and run makes it 45-27. And they chose to kick the extra point opposed to going for two. I do want to get Dino's thoughts, and then I, I want you and I to kind of hash it out afterwards. Here's Dino. This is he. He gets into numbers. It's a little bit lengthy, but let's hear the comment, and then Brian and I will discuss.
3: Watch this. I'll take it even generically. Okay, it's 40 percent versus Wake Forest in the last 2 years is 38%. The chances of making 3 versus Wake Forest drops it to less than 10% based off of math alone. Or you can play it for a four possession game. By playing it with a three possession game, the last time you have the ball you have to score a touchdown. Playing it with a four possession game, the last time you touch the ball you may kick a field goal with a field goal kicker that has the range of 50 yards, which means you can somewhere you can attempt it eight 42, 32, 35, 45, somewhere around the 32 yard line, you can attempt the ball and you can have an opportunity to tie the game. Those are all the things that are going through our heads when there's 10 minutes left to go, whether you're deciding to make it a three possession game or a fourth possession game. Now the reciprocal is, hey coach, what's the chances of you getting the ball four times? Well, if you look at it, if if we get the call with the quarterback. Okay, we get the ball, four possessions. If we make the field goal, even with 17 seconds left, you get it with four possessions. And I'm not going to get excited about what time we'd have left to win the game. With an on-site kick and a Hell's Mary, but it still gives you an opportunity. It comes down to whether you're going to play for three possessions or four possessions, and whether you feel like you can get the fourth possession. To play for three possessions, we were taking a uh, mathematical chance of saying that we we're going to be less than 10% was enough for us to win the game. And mathematically, that wasn't enough for me.
0: All right, so just to give it some context, there the the play with the quarterback he's talking about is when Hartman the ball came loose, they ruled him down, which mm-hmm. was the right call. He was down. Um, going into that comment, he said that on his on his chart or on their charts that this was a pickem. This was coach's choice about whether or not to kick the extra point there or or go for two. Um, you, you heard some of the numbers there. What, what, what are your What are your thoughts, Brian, about whether or not to, to go for two in that situation?
2: Well. I think it's two parts. To hear Dino explain it, the math from his perspective is correct. I still disagree with it, but I feel better knowing that it was thought out to that level, hopefully before they did it. Yeah, right. And not after they did it. Um, I do find it interesting, though, that they were basing it off, it sounded like Steve, going for two or not. Wake's ability to stop the two, not their ability to get the two. right, And... It is four possessions versus three. It's only three if you make three two point conversions in a row. And again, the chances of that are low. You're down 24. The chances of winning the game at all are low. Like the chances of winning the game in that scenario, I don't know what the numbers are, but 1%, 2%, it can't be very high. But if you have, if you think you can get one out of two, like if you miss the first, even on the second touchdown, if you get it to, now you're right back where you started. Well that's what I was saying. Because yes. but but you've at least taken the chance to cut
0: it to a three possession game. Right.
2: What you did was you eliminated any chance
0: of cutting All it right. to a three possession so game. So we didn't talk about this ahead of time. I, I am a hundred percent with you in, in your reasoning. I was thinking the same mm-hmm. thing that okay. It, with twelve and a half to play, Schrader throws a pick six, it's forty five twenty one. If you're telling me that two minutes later now your chances of tying the game go to about ten percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realize that's not exactly what he was saying. He was saying it was ten percent to get the three two point conversions, I would I would take that. You're banking on getting three more possessions after you kick the extra point. Three more possessions with ten minutes to go when you haven't been able to stop this offense. And to your point, if you if you take a chance there. And you get it, great. Now it's a two possession game with ten minutes to go. If you don't get it there, okay, it's it's still a three possession game. I realize it's three touchdowns, but you would go for two on the next touchdown, and then you're right yeah, back. You could get you're, right back where you are right were. back where you started. So, um, I'm with you in that. You know, I thought he did a better job explaining it this morning than the the answer that was given after the game. Um, and then, so that's why I wanted to play it. And he gets into the numbers, and it, it does make more sense now when you hear it. I'm with you though, Brian, in that I'm and, and it's easy for us to say. I mean, we're we're not coaches, we're not in the heat of it, but I'm with you. At the time I said, Why aren't they going for two? Because mm-hmm. I think you take the chance there. You try to cut it to a two possession game with ten minutes to go. Again, there's no guarantee that you're gonna get the ball three more times, and there's certainly no guarantee that you're gonna be able to stop Wake Forest when they've got forty five points on the board. So um I, I I disagreed with that, but it, you know that was his explanation. And,
2: and it turns out, how many more times do they get the ball? Right, two right. now, and there's two other things that go into it that were okay. At least that was thought out. the The timeout before the punt earlier in the half. Well, you talk about getting the ball back later in the game. There's there's a timeout that's 40 to 45 seconds of game time. Again, were you going to win this game? No. This is beside the point.
0: And he did address that, by the way, uh, at the press conference today, saying that uh, there was a look from Wakefield that they didn't like. Take
2: take the delay game, take take. The, I don't care. It's five. It's five yards. If it was the first half, it's a different thing. Second half, those timeouts. This, this is a different sport. But um, and it's kind of the opposite. But I talked to John Desco about the idea of timeouts many many times in lacrosse, and this is the opposite thing. He always said he regretted going into halftime with his timeouts. Saying, well, I never called them. But in the second half, he always said the other thing, have to save them. Yeah. Be- and it's different in lacrosse, but you have to save them. And I always liked how Doug Marone did this. He took almost all of his timeouts in the second half on defense when they were losing because you can make up time on offense by going faster. You have no control over time on defense, right. save for it. But then the other thing is, late in the game, okay, again, I realize your chance of winning at that point, you've got the ball down 10, are 1%, percent, two whatever the math is, it's not good, but... This is the Madden way to do it, and no matter what, at this point you have to recover an onside kick. It doesn't matter at this point. You had to kick the field goal, and I realized that Schmidt, you know, fell on his butt and missed. Uh, it would have better if he did that with 28 seconds left to earlier. go in first down, yes. because even if he had made it, you didn't have enough time at that point. Right. The strategy no longer worked. You had to do it when there would have been enough time to run three more plays. Right. I'm with you at gotta, that point. If you, like, if you recover him. the onside kick, like the the play on the field goal ended with four seconds left. An onside kick recovery is going to take, take four seconds. Say, say it takes three. So you get one play. Yeah. Well, okay. That is that is not maximizing it. So the I, it's just interesting to hear, okay, one way, that is, and I'll say this, that's all the math. That's great. That's great math, and I don't disagree with his math on it. Where was the math on the other two plays? Yeah. That's if, fair. If you're going to lean into it, great. Yeah go go all the way. Analytic me to death. Do it on every play. I don't
0: care. All right, uh, And with that, let's open it up to the phone lines. 315-437-7644. We're going to take our first time out here. We're going to talk a lot of cues, football and basketball on the show today. We want to hear from you. Uh, we've got our artist of the day coming up. Brian's oh, got... Uh,
2: yes. Uh, here, I, uh, Here's the tease for the yes. be I, I forget I'm Polly today, I'm very forgetful. It's hard to remember what I'm doing. The you, got, art-
0: you, you gotta make some mistakes if yeah, you're Polly. Uh, uh, ah, well let's go to break. Uh <laughs> so I,
2: I did the artist today, that's good. Yes. Um I, I got here in a very weird way. Uh this artist produced uh many covers. Okay. We're gonna hear the originals today, but this artist produced two covers in nineteen eighty seven that both went number one, and one of them took number one from the other one of them. We're going to hear none of those songs next, but we'll hear the originals uh, throughout the show. So you're going to have to go way back. Yeah. Yeah, it's Polly. It's very convoluted how I got to the artist of the day today. Uh, we, we've got seven songs to play. The artist has six songs you maybe have ever heard of, so the first one's kind of a crapshoot. But uh, you're going to get to some songs you actually know by the end of the show, so that is why you have to stay tuned today. All right, I look forward to that. All right, uh, that how about that?
0: Did that feel like Polly? It, it felt very, because I'm confused. Which okay, is, yes. Exactly, that's the whole goal of it. Uh, all right, well, uh, we'll get to that next on the other side. Full line's open if you want to check in. Just getting started here on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We're back after this on ESPN Radio.
1: ESPN 97.7 at 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com.
2: I was waiting for the, the titular line here, Steve, but it, it, it takes a few it's taking seconds. taking a minute. Yeah. There, there we, we right. go. Okay. Uh, this is Crimson and Clover by Tommy James singing here and the Shondells, they're the ones playing the instruments Crimson and Clover went number one in uh, 1968, this was the number one song off the album Money Money by Tommy James and the Shondells as they remain the artists of the day, for the whole day the whole day, well at least till two I suppose I could keep playing the songs during my show I I've got, I, I edited them already
0: why not, Just right? to re- recycle them? Yeah, if you weren't listening at noon come back at two all right, it is uh, it is a game day here on mm-hmm. Orange Nation. Uh, we talked uh, SU football in hour number one. We'll switch gears here and, and talk some SU basketball in hour number two. Empire Classic beginning tonight. Cuse against Richmond uh, down at the Barclays Center coming up at 7. And then uh, they'll play either St. John's or Temple tomorrow night uh, on ESPN2. Um, Syracuse bounced back over the weekend. Northeastern is... Uh, you know, not a not a great team and we didn't expect it to be a tough test but but Syracuse went out and and certainly looked better on both ends of the floor than they did against Colgate. I think that's uh that's a positive right uh yeah uh, they
2: had to uh, that's what I said last week like, okay Northeastern's not great like, you you're going to win the game you have to win the game and they did that but you also need to play better or else you're not going to win these other games like tonight is a legitimate tough game Richmond made the tournament last year I mean there's they're a good team they got a lot of people back. Um, but, yeah, you went out. You won easily. Judo looked pretty good. He's getting better. Uh, Jesse looked pretty good. He he looked, you know, they, they were using him in ways to make him more mobile and get him out. And the, the quick pick and rolls they were doing, I, I kind of liked it. You know, I, I think they're starting to, you know, really lean on their strengths. Now, the weaknesses haven't necessarily improved. Talk about small forward and stuff like that. But if you say it's going to be Gerard, Midson, Edwards, well, they leaned they leaned all the way into those three on Saturday night, and it worked out.
0: The, the thing that I liked about Judah's game, and I'm very impressed with his uh, his offensive skill set, his his ability to get by guys, and and his his mid range game. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's lethal on that pull up. He had five assists and no turnovers. Yeah. And you know, if you go back to the exhibition games as well. Um, his assist to turnover ratio wasn't good. He had three assists, three turnovers against Lehigh. Two assists, two, two turnovers against Colgate. And I, I want to say, in the exhibition games, he was. It was about. I mean, he just It was. I think it was less than one to one, if I'm not mistaken. And it, it wasn't the turnovers in my mind. It was the lack of lack assists. of assists. Right, a lack of assists. Um, so the fact that a he had five assists mm-hmm. and B he had zero turnovers. That, huge. That's that's a good thing. Um, and again, just Northeastern. I get that, but hopefully he's starting to figure it out a little bit and you know this is of course there's going to be an adjustment going from you know high school to even playing at a an elite high school level like he did to come to a major division 1 college program there's going to be growing pains being uh, you know handed the keys to the car so um i i like that you know in his third regular season game he went out there and you know five assists five rebounds no turnovers mm-hmm. 18 points that was a just a really good solid game out of Judah Mintz. You know Joe's going to be there and and you know Joe shot it well, which makes such a big difference with him. I mean, you know, a couple more shots go down against Colgate. It's a different story for him. In ter- you know, Jim Baham even said that on our show last week that, you know, Baham said after the game, he thought Joe took some bad shots. He said after watching the tape, he took less bad shots than he thought, just a couple of them didn't go in. Mm-hmm. You know, this game Joe goes five for nine for three point range. You know Jesse's going to be there but but who who after that right who after those 3 and you could you could get by northeastern with judah joe and jesse you know tonight and tomorrow they're going to be tough games they're going to be we expect them to be close games richmond is really good defensively who besides those 3 do they have and i, I there's a lot of question marks you know um simir's done some good things but he's not necessarily a scorer he's more of a distributor who who can you count on to score points outside of those 3
2: yeah, I think Jim Beheim said it. Um, I think it was after the Colgate game about Judah. We, we have to get him doing what he does well. And that's what he did uh, the last two games. Uh, talking about offense, uh, now defense is a whole other world, uh, I think, was certainly with the freshman. But, you know, he's driving. He only took one three. He missed it. Uh, the three-point stats stand out to me. This is not a good three-point shooting team. They were six of 14. And by they, you mentioned Gerard was five of nine. The rest of the team is one of five. Is that a ideal? No. But at least... Okay, you understand the rest of the team isn't good at shooting threes. Now, maybe Chris Bell someday, or Justin Taylor someday, we, we haven't seen it yet. You cannot count on it. Taylor made one. But the fact, okay, if the rest of the team can't shoot threes, don't. And they did. not Gerard's the only guy. It's harder to get one guy open for threes than spread it out. Well, that's what you did. Judah was driving. Jesse is a mobile big man. He's not a powerful big man. They got him out in the pick and roll, and... Not like, you know, stodgy, set a screen and stand there, pick and rolls quick, set the screen, get moving. So, you took your those are your three best players. You took your three best players and put them in position to do what they did well, and they did it well. Is that be going to work against better teams? Because they know that too? We'll find out tonight. You mentioned Richmond's a great defensive team. But, what, what's the goal? But your best players in position to do what they did well. That's what they did very specifically. It felt like on Saturday
0: they've got to get more production on the forwards. Obviously, um, who are you more concerned about at this point? You more concerned about Benny, or are you more, mm. more concerned about Chris Bell? Who's getting you know Bell's getting less time, less opportunities. But again, when he's out there, like he needs some good things to happen, and and they and they haven't. Uh, we hear what a great shooter he is. It hasn't happened in games yet. Um, you know, I was at the practice leading up to the Lehigh game, because I was calling that game on radio, and I swear he 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 hit like 15 threes in a row standing right in front of me from the wing. Chris Bell? I, I'm okay. not even sure he touched the rim. Okay. Like, it was swish, swish, swish. Like, you, you can tell the kid's a good shooter, but it's different when the bright lights go on and you're in a game. And, and I, I think he just needs some good things to happen, and maybe that'll help him relax a little bit. My guess is he's pressing. But... You know, And Jim Bayon brought this up, not really rebounding when he's out there either. Like he's got to do something when he's out there, even if he if he's not making shots or he's not taking shots, he has to impact the game somehow, and he, he just he isn't doing that right now. And again, it's just three games in, three regular season games in. But of the two, him or Benny, who are you more concerned about at this point?
2: Uh, I'd say I'm more concerned about uh, this is Bell included. I'm more concerned about this small forward position. Uh, Because it's not just Bell. They're not getting anything out of anybody. And they're all freshmen is is the problem. It's Bell, Taylor, and Kadir Copeland is primarily. And, you know, I guess they played some minutes of Benny and Malik Brown together, which can work defensively. Offensively is uh, not great. And, you know, the other game, the Colgate game, it was the three-guard lineup, a significant chunk of the game, which, you know, is interesting, but you probably want to use it sparingly. I'm more concerned about small forward. And it's less the shooting. Yeah, his shots aren't going in. Everybody says Chris Bell's a good shooter. Like, you said it, Jim Bama said Everybody has said it. I will believe it. He need How you stay on the floor long enough for your shot to finally go in is you have to go do something else. Yep. And at his spot, and especially now it looks like they're going to be playing zone, I bet a lot. Or exclusively. Shocking, I know. He has to rebound in the zone. The center gets tied up in the middle of the zone and can't... Like, Jesse, he's got a lot to do. He cannot go get all the rebounds. Benny is not going to be on the side of the floor to which all of the rebounds bounce. The other forward has to go get the rebounds. If that's him, you got to do that. If you do that enough, Jim Beheim will let you stay on the floor and miss shots. If they're the right shots. He'll, if you're taking the right shot, he'll let you stay out there. You have to do the other stuff. He hasn't done the other stuff yet. It's 12 minutes. If you do the other stuff, that 12 can be 25, and maybe in minute 20 the shot goes in,
0: Yeah, right. and then maybe it clicks in your brain. 16 minutes against Lehigh, zero rebounds. Uh, only played eight minutes against Colgate, zero no. rebounds. Played 12 minutes against Northeastern, got three rebounds. He, he, you're right i mean he's got to he's got to do more he's got to yeah. impact the game more than than what he's doing right now that's, especially that's in the zone there. especially yeah, and and you know who's been doing that and stealing some of his minutes and i realize they're not exactly the same position but he's playing one of the four spots malik brown yeah. when malik brown's out there he's doing other things well, he's he's earn you know he's getting his hands on passes steals rebounds he's he's doing you know he's not necessarily a scorer yeah. but he's impacting the game when he's out there on the floor
2: on defense in the zone though they are exactly the same position right Yes. Uh, now, offense is a different thing. Malik can't shoot. Now, he can do other stuff, but in theory, that's the same stuff Benny is doing because you don't want him shooting. Yeah, like, right. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I will go <laughs> shoot. Coach, let me shoot. Mm. So if, if it ends up that Malik's in there, he's going to play the four, which technically makes Benny the three and might give him some thoughts that you don't want yeah, to have. Yeah, you don't want that. So, yeah. you know, there's some there's some things to think about. But, you know, on def- if you're playing the zone, there is no difference between the four spots. You don't always end up on the same foot. Fly- you generally go to the same side but sometimes you end up on the other side
0: and you play it. Right. There is no difference. All right, we're going to take another time out here we got Bob Black the voice of the Richmond Spider set to join us at 1:30. We're back after this on ESPN Radio.
1: ESPN 97.7 at 100.1. Watch live on Qsportstalk.com. <laughs>
2: Tommy James and the Shondells is our artist of the day. This is I Think We're Alone Now. This is not noted Canadian ball sensation Tiffany singing it, who took this number one in 1987. This is Tommy James and the Shondells. Where did they take this, uh, Steve? They uh, took this number four in 1967. So twice on the charts for I Think We're Alone Now.
0: All right. Uh and with that we go from our artist to the day to the uh to our interview of the day. Our our lone interview is uh Bob Black. He is the voice, the longtime voice of the Richmond Spiders. He's joining us now to fill us in on tonight's opponent. Bob, great to have you on. How are you today?
2: It would help if I turned Bob on. That's my bad, Bob. There you
0: now you're on with now, us, Bob. now yeah. we can hear you, Bob. How are you today?
1: I know the feeling, guys. Been there, done that many, many times. Uh, doing fine. Appreciate you having me on.
0: All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on, especially on a game day here. So, so fill us in on uh, on this Richmond team. Uh, two and two to this point. Both losses. Uh, close losses. Lost at uh, Charleston in overtime, and uh, and lost to Wichita State by three uh, last week. What, what have you? Uh, you know, give us your observations and and what you've uh, learned about this team through four games.
1: Well, I think off of what you just said, it's the good news, bad news, double-edged sword thing here. The Spiders have fallen behind by a lot of points in those two losses, 21 in the second half to Charleston and 11 in the second half to Wichita State. The flip side of that is the Spiders had the ability, the wherewithal, the explosiveness to come back and take leads in both of those games. And the Charleston game led by three in regulation and five in overtime before the Cougars rallied to win that one. They're turning out to be a pretty good team. They just won their Charleston Classic, beat Virginia Tech in the championship game. And then Wichita State, the Spiders came back, took as much of a six-point lead after being down by 11 and then couldn't hang on to that. So I think the moral of the story for the Spiders right now is to not fall behind by double digits, even though they seem to have the wherewithal to come back and play a little bit more competitively and a little bit more energized in the first half of the game so they don't have to expend So much energy into the second half. And then the other point I would make is Wichita State threw a zone defense at Richmond in that game at the Robbins Center in Richmond on Thursday. The Spiders did not handle it great, either attacking it inside. They missed a lot of three-point shots. And obviously they're going to see the Syracuse zone tonight.
0: No doubt about that. Uh, You know, Syracuse and and Jim Bam, they said they're going to try to play some man this year. We've seen the man mixed in a little bit. It has not gone well, so I would expect, uh, if not 40 minutes of zone, a majority of zone, certainly, uh, by the Syracuse defense. Talking about defense, you know, Bob, when when I think of Richmond, I I think of of defense. The fact that they were able to put up, and I realized it was an overtime game and and a fast, you know, style of play and an up-tempo game against Charleston, um, That surprised me a little bit when I saw that score, that Richmond was capable of putting up uh, that many points. You mentioned they've got a little uh, extra firepower this year. Can you tell us about that a little bit?
1: Well, we brought in three transfers this year, which is something Richmond has not done much of now. In the new landscape of college basketball and college athletics, everyone is bringing in transfers, obviously. And Richmond had to replace four super seniors, either fifth- or sixth-year guys, from last season, two thousand 2,000-point scores that got them the NCAA tournament and got them a victory over Iowa in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So Coach Chris Mooney went out and selectively picked some transfers to bring in. So Richmond added three transfers, two of whom are already showing really strong signs offensively. Isaiah Bigelow, who's a transfer from Wofford, had a double-double the other night against Wichita State, 16 points, 11 rebounds. And then Jason Roach was the freshman of the year in the Southern Conference at the Citadel, a prolific three-point shooter, led the nation amongst freshmen with 110 three-pointers last season. So that's to go along with a guy like Tyler Burton, who is the leading returning scorer and rebounder from last year and an NBA prospect. So I do think they feel like they do have some weapons both inside and outside They just need to get them all on the same page. Uh,
2: Bob, I want to know that you mentioned Chris Mooney, the head coach, and and he's been there a long time now. He feels like a guy that, you know, typically is somebody, a a major conference comes and takes a guy like this away. He's he's won a lot of games there. What what has led to him having the staying power at Richmond and then, you know, the long term success he's had so far?
1: Uh, Loyalty would be my one word answer to that, and that's a two way street. I think he's been loyal to the university and to the program through both ups and downs. And he has certainly suffered through some down times as well, but has enjoyed the ups. And I think his players and the program conversely have shown their loyalty to him as well. I mentioned those four super seniors, all of them could have continued to play college basketball at another school at a power five school. If they so desired, they all chose to come back to Richmond and they all said the main reason they did that was because of Coach Mooney. So loyalty would be my short answer to your question, and it goes both ways, Coach Mooney being loyal to the program and the university and the players that he's got on this team being loyal to him.
0: Bob, you mentioned a moment ago the uh, the upset of Iowa last year in the NCAA tournament. How much carryover has, has there been from that win into the offseason, into this season, You mentioned that they they lost several key players off that team, but there's a a nice group back. Is there a little carryover? Did that provide them with a little bit of momentum going into the offseason and beyond?
1: I think for the uh, returning players, it certainly did. And, again, they're in a relatively similar situation with two players who were fifth-year seniors this year. And, again, they had the choice to come back at all to college basketball or to go somewhere else to complete their college basketball career. And they both elected to stay at Richmond, and then Tyler Burton, who, as I said, was the leading scorer and rebounder on last year's team, anyway, went through the NBA draft process in the summer, went to all of the camps, got evaluated, eventually took his name out of the NBA draft and came back to Richmond. But again, he's another guy. If he wanted to play one more year of college basketball, he could have transferred anywhere he wanted. So for those three guys and a couple of reserves, I do think there's a carryover effect. And the one name that I would mention that you'll watch tonight who didn't play on last year's team but was there, is the point guard, Jason Nelson, the 5'10 redshirt freshman. So it was with the team, obviously, all of last year, experienced it all in practice, on the sideline, on the bench, during games. Obviously a different field, different atmosphere with him running the show now, but he was a part of all of that last year. So I think that's an integral piece for Richmond that he does have the experience of what that team accomplished last year.
0: Yeah, Richmond beat Iowa in the NCAA tournament, beat NC State earlier in the year, uh, almost beat Mississippi State and Maryland. And I guess the point I'm getting at is, you know, facing Syracuse tonight on a neutral floor, obviously Syracuse is a brand name, but there's going to be no intimidation, right? I mean, they're going into this game feeling like, you know, not only can we win, but I'm sure they're going in thinking they probably should win, right?
1: Well, certainly if they play up to their capabilities, I think they would go in with that kind of confidence. And when you're a school like Richmond and you're in the Atlantic 10, which is a high mid-major conference that gets multiple teams in the NCAA tournament every year, these games don't come along that often. You certainly don't get them at home anymore. So you play them on neutral courts. Now, none of us are not believing that this won't be a home court advantage for Syracuse tonight. Obviously it will be at Barclays center in Brooklyn, but at least it's not in the dome uh, and they do have an opportunity on a neutral court to get a win. And to your point, yes, they've played in enough big games um, to not be intimidated by the surroundings, to not be intimidated by the name of the on the front of the jersey, and having been in the NCAA tournament last year for those guys that were on that team, I do think that helps them going into the game tonight.
0: All right, Syracuse uh, two and one. The lone loss to, to Colgate. They, they've struggled with the Raiders the last two years. Uh, Colgate made 19 threes. Uh, we talked a little bit about the defense. I would expect you're going to see pretty much all zone tonight uh, out of the Syracuse team. What are your What are your observations of the Orange through three games uh, based on what you've seen, you know, from the outside looking in?
1: Well, full. I follow the orange very closely because I'm a Syracuse grad. I'm another one of those um, in the Syracuse fraternity of broadcasters. So I do keep my eye on them uh, pretty closely. And yeah, I agree with you. I I think we'll see exclusively zone tonight. I heard coach play postgame post game comment after the Northeastern game. And obviously he was spot on with a relatively young team. You're not going to teach man to man and zone in 24 to 48 hours with everything that Richmond does offensively. Now, we don't do quite as much of that Princeton offense as Coach Beheim probably referred to or that a lot of people nationally think. They've adapted that, been flexible with that over the years. So it's not at all the Princeton offense that you may remember from the glory days of Pete Carroll. but there are certainly principles to it that are still in place today. So that's a reason I think we'll see all zone From Syracuse because the turnaround time is very short for them having played Saturday and playing again Monday and again trying to learn two defenses to play against Richmond on one night Um, and the fact that Richmond did not handle the zone very well against Wichita State last week obviously the Syracuse coaches I've taken a look at that tape as well.
2: All right, Bob. I'm going to give a a long preface to this question just to give our listeners a chance, like pull over to the side of the road or hold on to something uh, for the game I'm about to uh, bring up here. But you've been the voice of Richmond for a long time. You've called all their tournament games. which means you called the tournament game that I'm about to mention, which was in 1991, the first ever uh, 15 seed uh, to beat it, too. Uh, it's a long time ago now, Bob, but how much does that still come up? Because, as you know, we Syracuse fans were very bad at forgetting uh, terrible life events uh, like that, so uh, how, how often does that come up as the the huge Richmond win in the tournament back in '91?
1: I think with this group, it never comes up because obviously none of them were born in 1991. I think they know the history. Coach Mooney certainly knows it and appreciates it and has gotten to know our coach back then, Dick Perrin, uh who is still around Richmond and, and comes to games. So I think Coach Mooney has an appreciation for that. Um, I guess when I bring it up with our audience and our listeners, and there's a chance it might come up on, oh, just, on just our just show tonight. Only the pregame show? Come, come on, up. Bob. And and my play-by-play call at the end of the game might actually be played on our 30-minute pregame show Ah. uh, tonight. And I'll I'll tell you this: I will I will say this. Uh, I've been doing this, you said, for a long time now. It's 40 years, and I was asked to to give my top 10 moments in the 40 years at Richmond, and that was the number one moment of Bob Black's tenure at Richmond. Uh, Not only because it was the first 15 to beat a two. (laughs) But it was my alma mater, and I spent that entire week back in 1991 answering the question, well, who do you really want to win, Richmond or Syracuse? Well, obviously, when you're working for a school, you better be in that school's corner. Um, so it was a tremendous accomplishment. It was 30-plus years ago, as I said. Nobody on this team, other coaches, was alive, at that, and broadcaster, was alive at that point. So I think amongst the team, not at all. I think amongst the fan base— it does still come up. Having said that, fortunately, Richmond has been to more NCAA tournaments and has won more games in the NCAA tournament since that one. But that one is still an historic event in Richmond.
0: What, what was it like for you calling that game, being a QS guy, and what, what do you remember from that game? What, you know, When you look back all these years later now, what, what comes to mind?
1: Um, I think the way the crowd at Cole House became so pro-Richmond. That night. Now, obviously, the proximity to Richmond is is relatively close, and you know it. Anytime an underdog, particularly in the NCAA tournament, hangs around long enough to be in the game in the second half, everybody gets behind them. So there was this small pocket of Syracuse fans behind the the orange bench. And other than that, the entire building was reverberating for Richmond. Um, So it became almost a home court advantage that night for the Spiders, and they just played vintage. Richmond basketball, offensively and defensively. Uh, Coach Dick Tarrant was a mastermind with his assistants at scouting opponents. They had a great game plan going into that game. The, the two kind of off-the-wall things that I will tell you that I remember, number one, the game started so late. Uh, the other games had, had run long. That game didn't start till after 10 o'clock that night. And by the time it was over and by the time we got out of there, We couldn't find a place to go to celebrate, you know, to have a little adult (laughs) beverage and celebrate that win. Everything was was already closed in College Park, Maryland at that point. So uh, we had to kind of fend for ourselves back at the hotel. So I I remember that. And then one of the key plays in the game was a behind-the-back pass that we made in the lane to our center for a layup. And back in those days, guys, they put radio in the second row of press row. And just as that play was happening – Some gentleman decided it was time to get up and go to the press room or go to get a beverage, and he literally walked right in front of me as that play was happening. So I never saw it live until I saw the (laughs) television replay, and my play-by-play call was so ordinary of just a routine layup, because that's all I saw of it, that I had no excitement in my voice for the -the behind-the-back pass. So those are the two kind of off-the-wall things that I do remember about that game. And, you know, when you beat your alma mater, I think there's some... Um, I don't want to say vindication, but there's something about that, that, hey, that's pretty cool that a Syracuse guy was able to call a game in which his alma mater was involved and it was an historic game. Other than that, as long as is not playing Syracuse, I am uh, 100% orange.
0: All right, uh, and I guess last one for you, Bob, as we get you out of here, when you circle back to tonight's game now, tonight's matchup, what do you think this game ultimately comes down to over 40 minutes of basketball?
1: Well, I think from the Richmond perspective, they do have to, this is going to sound contradictory, but they have to make more three-point shots, but they probably have to take less three-point shots. Richmond was 8 of 29 from three against Wichita State the other night, and almost all of them came against the zone. they got to find a way to get inside that zone and get some buckets inside. Guys like Tyler Burton at 6'7", and Isaiah Bigelow at 6'7", uh, I know there's a tall front line for, for Syracuse, but they got to find a way to get some points inside that three-point line, inside that paint, and not take quite as many threes. But when they do take them, they do have to make them. Um, and then secondarily, can't fall behind again by you know, 15, 20 points and expect to come back against Syracuse. So those would be my keys to the game.
0: All right, Bob, great stuff. We appreciate the time here on a game day. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. We really do appreciate it.
1: Always enjoy it, fellas, anytime. Appreciate you asking.
0: All right, Bob Black, the voice of the Richmond Spiders. And uh, with that, he might be the only one uh, that That, we've ever had on this show who had fond memories of of that Richmond game.
2: I'd say the only good news is that in 91 I was nine, so the late start, it made it past my bedtime. So I, I I only heard the terrible news when I got up in the morning. Yeah, if that softens the blow at all, now thirty-one years later, I then didn't it's realize, still annoying
0: us all. I didn't realize I was that much older than you. Now, I, now I feel old. Did Look, you
2: just turn forty? I did. Well, uh, what what month is it? It's November. November. Uh, nine months ago. All right. Yeah. Okay. So
0: I'm I'm well worn now in my forties, Steve. All right. Uh, we're, I, we're we're kind of the same age. So we're we're both in our forties. We're both so, younger than Paulie. That that is true, and There's that will that. always remain uh, the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will take our final time out. We'll wrap up the show next on ESPN Radio.